Hello, welcome Twitch viewers. Welcome to the Football Outsiders Twitch channel and the Football Outsiders Radio Hour, so-called even though it is not on the radio and it does not always last exactly an hour. But we do it every Thursday on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, uh, Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And then you can view it later on uh, on YouTube, and we also post it on all of your favorite podcast sites. So welcome to this week's FO Radio Hour, and our subject this week is going to be Kubiak, not Gary Kubiak himself, although, you know, he's he a retired. nice guy. Yeah. He, he's a nice guy and everything. But the Kubiak fantasy football projection system from Football Outsiders, for those of you who don't know how it got its name, uh, we call it the uh, football. Uh, we call it the Kubiak uh, fantasy football projection system as a joke, based on um, based on baseball prospectus calling theirs Pakoda. So they named theirs after a random '80s backup infielder. So I decided to name ours after a random '80s backup quarterback. And it just so happened that I thought that Gary Kubiak's name sounded like he should be one of those gigantic 60s mainframe computers with the punch <laughs> cards, right? You had Univac and you had ENIAC and Kubiak would fit in with that. So that's why I called it the Kubiak Fantasy Football Projection System. And all of our fantasy football projections are live on the site as of today, July 1st. And I have as guests on the show, fantasy experts from Football Outsiders, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen. And Scott is the man behind the Kubiak system at this point. I turned it over to him a couple of years ago. We totally redid it, rebuilt it from the ground up to make it even more accurate than it was before. And um, he's been slaving away, making all of this year's projections. And now they are available on the site for you to use. So what we're going to do on today's FO Radio Hour is talk a little bit about how the Kubiak system works, and then we're going to kind of walk you through it on Twitch, a little bit of how it looks, what it looks like, and uh, then we're going to talk about some players and why we may have them higher or lower than average draft position, you know, conventional wisdom from everybody else. So Scott, hi, tell, hey, us, a little, tell us a little bit about how you come up with the Kubiak projections. Will do. Although I, I'll mention, I think you should rebrand and say that it's named after Clint Kubiak. Now that Clint is is actually the one that's still participating in NFL play calling. Uh, but as for how the system itself works these days, uh, we set it up so that it's an interdependent system, which means that we don't just do project quarterbacks, then project running backs, then project receivers, etc. Everybody kind of works together. So, kind of from a broad strokes perspective you'll look at a quarterback and it's going to project, you know, how many catchable targets he, he throws. And then with his receivers, how productive those receivers are going to be per catchable target, you know, yards per touchdowns per and everything else that way. So by the end of it, everybody adds up on all of their teams so that hopefully it makes sense and can provide you some insight that you may not kind of have on your own. I mean, we were talking about this with uh, the Panthers and with Christian McCaffrey, a player that we're, you know, a little bit down on relative to some of the, the public's numbers but if, if Sam Darnold plays as kind of badly as he has the last few years for the Jets or even improves a little bit, that's going to have an impact on all of the Panthers skill players from McCaffrey to DJ Moore to everybody else. And having an interdependent system like that, I think, kind of makes that a little bit clearer to see. Yeah, you definitely get situations in fantasy football where ADP will be really high on the receivers from a team and really low on the quarterback. And it doesn't make logical mm. sense. If the receivers are all going to have big years, then the quarterback has to have a, at least an okay year. And that's kind of going on right now with Carolina where they have Robbie Anderson and they have, um, and they DJ have DJ Moore. Moore and then Marshall. They, I think Derek likes him a bit. Yep. And uh, who's the other guy they added? It's Dan Arnold, right not now. to be confused with Sam Darnold. And we're all thinking that Darnold is going to be, you know, probably better than he was with the Jets, but I don't think as good as what Carolina hopes he's going to be. And we don't have him projected to be as good as what Bridgewater was last year. So you've got to expect that the receivers are going to drop a little bit. And that also means there's fewer catches. You know, the fact mm -hmm. that the receivers have matured and become better means there's fewer catches for McCaffrey to have as part of the offense. 
and, and for all of our fans, it took me less than a minute to derail this podcast to being about, you know, the Panthers. So I'll try to get a little bit back on track and talk about the system a little bit more. But like talking about it from an individual player perspective, it's looking at their recent trends in terms of efficiencies. So for a quarterback, you know, how accurate they've been the last couple of years, that'll be regressed back to some league average type of stuff or some other factors along those lines. So you're kind of getting in that history, you're getting in the sense of regression, you're getting the interdependence with their teammates. And then we do a couple of other fun things to sort of layer in some other contextual factors. Like we do, um, if you've ever played baseball and seen, you know, like home run pet factors, park factors and stuff like that, we do something very similar for venue factors, weather factors and opponent factors in the Kubiak system. So you, you probably intuitively know that when you're in a dome, that's going to influence like how many yards you throw for, maybe even how often you throw. And all of those things can kind of be expressed as percent changes. And we do it that way. So you can actually layer them one on top of the other and see like, you know, here's what this player would look like in a neutral context. What's he gaining from being in a dome? What's he losing by playing the Colts this week? And that actually kind of unfurls into gained yards, touchdowns, uh, fantasy points. And you can sort of see it all. And I think that's a really cool way to sort of look at things and maybe get a sense of like, oh, like who's gaining a lot of points because of circumstances. Maybe that's a good thing to trade for. All of those things don't necessarily play out at the beginning of the year from a full season draft perspective, but it's kind of all there for you to look at as well. And so it'll help you make really good draft decisions. Yeah, we should point out that the way that it's built is that it's actually projecting all 18 weeks of the season mm -hmm. and then adding that all together. When I, when I used to do the old Kubiak, I was just projecting season yeah. totals. Way, the way we do it now is that it's doing the weekly fantasy projections that are part of an FO Plus subscription. It's just doing it for all 18 weeks and adding it together with a discounting a little bit each week, the idea, you know, with the possibility that a player might get injured and his backup might have to play. Yeah. There's some really cool, like nerdy math stuff where it'll be like basically we're, we have projected, you know, catch percentages and, and running back carry percentages and stuff as of week one. And then as we go through the season, those evolve based on factors like, you know, injury chances, which, you know, we don't do a ton of necessarily injury prediction for specific players, but everybody has a good chance to get injured over the course of the year. And then different players grow sort of their projected workloads at different rates over the course of the year based on factors like their draft position, uh, based on their efficiencies in recent years and stuff. So, it, you know, a top prospect is going to probably grow like he would in real life. Uh, more over the course of the season than, you know, a, a back of the roster type player. And uh, we also have to, because of the way we do it, we have to sort of guess at quarterback situations. So I know we talked about this when Derek was on the show last, like trying to guess at like which teams will have which quarterbacks, which, you know, will play. I think we ended up giving most of the Chicago season to Justin Fields, but most of San Francisco to Garoppolo and most of New England to Cam Newton and then most of Houston to Tyrod Taylor. But we projected some Davis Mills because that team is probably going to be so far out of it. Why wouldn't they throw in Davis Mills for a few weeks? <laughs> yeah, I think if I'm looking at this right, um, like we have Cam Newton starting something like 11 games, uh, Tyrod maybe 12, but Justin Fields uh, or Andy Dalton, yeah. The other guys are closer to like a 50-50 split over the course of the year. But you're just kind of guessing by, based on a combination of like, how good are these prospects? How good are these incumbent quarterbacks? And even looking at their schedules to say like, when is the bye week? Or when is the run of three relatively easier opponents, two of which are at home? I, all of those kind of soft factors kind of help that guess. But you also have their efficiencies and stuff if you want to look at it over a 16-game schedule or anything or however many weeks we are this, these days. Right. Yeah, full season. Se 17 game schedule. And uh, <clears throat> once again, in, in the football outsiders almanac, as we usually do, we'll be running Kubiak projections that represent starting all 17 games for quarterbacks. That way you don't look up Blaine Gabbert and it says that he's going to throw 15 passes this year. And God forbid Tom Brady goes down and you look up to see what we think about Blaine Gabbert and you discover that we think he's going to throw for like 80 yards. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's a lot of information in that. So what we've always done is run projections for all the quarterbacks as if they're going to be full year starters, uh, which leads to some, I don't know quite how, what the Taysom Hill one what will look like, but um, it leads to some fun, really bad ones for some really bad backups. 
the Taysom Hill projection is particularly interesting, I think, in just the, the regular full season projections because it's a combination of him as being like a few snap a game, game player with Winston as the starter with what are the chances that he becomes the starter over the course of the year. So it gets, it gets very tricky. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of debate about that. I ended up going with the projection, with the simulation for the book. I ended up going with 50% Winston, 50% Hill. Uh, I think I, it's more likely that Winston's the quarterback, but it, given what Sean Payton did last year, who, the, who knows? From an intellectual perspective, I really want him to basically alternate games and not announce to, to opponents who he's going to start. But from somebody that maintains these projections every week, I really don't want him to do that because that would just be a nightmare for me. I guess what you, you the better thing would be for him to make Taysom Hill the starter because if Taysom Hill's the starter, it's not like you have to figure out the five passes a game for Winston. Whereas if Winston's the starter, you have to figure out the other way around. Also, Taysom Hill is a much better fantasy player than Jameis Winston. So that's another reason why that would be good for me as a fantasy person. Love those rushing yards for quarterbacks. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we'll get to that in a few minutes. We'll talk about players, but. Uh, the rise of the Russian quarterbacks and Russian quarterbacks being so uh, there being so many more Russian quarterbacks now and so many more rushing touchdowns by quarterbacks compared to past years really changes like how you look at fantasy value. Yeah, that, that was actually one of the big things with the projections this year where you were looking at our projected DVOA rates, which kind of arise naturally out of our projected, you know, statistics and you had to make a big centering adjustment to quarterback rushing because all of a sudden there's Kyler Murray's and Lamar Jackson's everywhere. And it doesn't mean what it used to mean to, you know, run for six yards a carry if you're a quarterback. Yeah. At one point we came out that the average, like the league wide DVOA for quarterback rushing was 21%. Yeah. Like and the since league that's as a whole to was 21% zero, above average. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want in a projection at the end. <laughs> that's not what average means. Yeah, but if you hypothetically created a a like DVOA over the course of NFL history, think about how crazy somebody like Kyler Murray would look from a DVOA perspective. Well, especially, well, first of all, offensive levels are so high right now overall, but the quarterback rushing is so high. I don't remember who did the chart, but someone put a chart on Twitter of, it might have been Chase Stewart, quarterback rushing touchdowns by year. And last year is just like, twice as many as any other year or something mm -hmm. ridiculous like that. I think, and that's kind of, it's led to this evolution where this year we have five of the most interesting quarterback prospects ever. And now we have Derek here on, uh, on the Twitch with us. He'll, he'll be able to give us some insight. We're definitely going to be talking about some of those guys as the players that I think are interesting uh, for, for today's show. All right. But to continue to side like Derek, sideline Derek for a few minutes, I want to go through uh, a look at sort of what it looks like. And this is going to sort of suck if you're listening on a podcast. So I apologize for that. We'll try to describe what we're doing, but we're going to share a screen here and uh, show you a little bit of the basics of how it works. So hopefully this works. Let's give it a try. Hey, while, there while it Aaron's is. working on that. Basically, Aaron is showing you the web tool for Kubiak that's up on footballoutsiders.com. And this is a tool that lets you do a lot of stuff with your league where you can put in custom scoring, et cetera, to customize the projections so that they'll fit your league and help you make good draft decisions. So, right. All right. Now we've got it up. So this is the basics. And you can even see, I can even show you right here, just the basic like um, difference of how you can tailor to your league. Because here's a look at the running back list in a PPR league. You can look either by position or at all players. And here is a look at the running back list and you'll see Christian McCaffrey is number two and Derek Henry is number five. And then we switch to a non-PPR league and we look at the same running back list. Hmm. Hold on a second. And now Derek Henry is number two and Christian McCaffrey is number three. So you can see how tailoring the projections to your league like really makes a difference. And there's all kinds of categories. So just looking at the basic view right here, first of all, just looking at the basic view, it gives you the players, their team, bye week, position, age, uh, tells you if they're a rookie or not. If you see Najee Harris, it tells you he's a rookie. 
how many fantasy points we're projecting using your league scoring and what that is over the baseline, which is that's how we get the rankings is it's based on your, your performance over a positional baseline. That way it's not like quarterbacks of the, all the top picks. And then how your rank compares to ESPN's ADP, Yahoo's ADP, and then another website where we get ADP. We also project dollar values for auctions. Ta-da! So you can mark a player as drafted. You can say he's on your team or not on your team. You can put in what his price is, and it'll change the values for an auction league. Like if yeah, you do you this. You can basically use this. You can either use this as a live tool for your draft while you're drafting, and then mark off players, and you can see your team and everyone's team that way. Or you can, if you want, just get to the end of this, print it out. You can download it as a CSV and then kind of use it as a cheat sheet on your own. Or even do some other, you know, mathematical manipulation if you want to. If you think that some of our projections aren't quite what you want, download it as a you know, how many your runs, rushing yards, et cetera. First downs, that's new this year. We're projecting rushing first downs, receiving first downs, and passing first downs. Uh, you get DVOA projections over here as well. Um catch percentage, which uh, we've got to fiddle with a little bit there. Uh it should say something like 68% or whatever, but we just have to fiddle with that. Uh, and then overall rank and position rank. And then when you go to the actual scoring settings, you can see all the different scoring settings that you can, uh, that you can do. You've got uh, salary cap leagues or snake leagues. You can change the budget and the minimum bid for your salary cap leagues. Pick how many players at each position. Uh, the one thing that I'm going to admit that we still don't have is super flex leagues uh, where you can use a player as a quarterback or a running back or a wide receiver or a tight end. And if anybody has any idea how to do positional <laughs> values for super flex leagues, email us. It's something we absolutely want to put in this thing. Aaron and I have been arguing about how to do that for the last two years. So. Right. We haven't, we haven't come up with a plan yet, which is why we don't have it available. So uh, these are all the categories you can pick. So like some esoteric ones, depending on your league, like incompletions or sacks for quarterbacks. You can give a bonus for 300-yard passing games or 100-yard receiving games. Uh, team defense down here. You have the ability to pick IDP players. We do IDP leagues as well. If you go back to the setup and you go in the bottom left, if you say include IDP players, now it gives you a whole list of things to do IDP players. And it also allows you to pick Yahoo or ESPN because last year ESPN made a change where all edge rushers are now listed as defensive ends, even if they are linebackers for their teams. So individual defensive players are listed at a different position for Yahoo than they are for ESPN. And you can actually pick which one of those you want to use. So Again, back to the scoring. If you do IDP leagues, it has all your IDP scoring here and you can just you know, put in whatever is the scoring for your league. And as you change the categories for your league, punt return yards, kick return yards, all kinds of like esoteric stuff that you know, only a few leagues use, but we've got all, all kinds of possibilities here. Yeah. And if you, if you question, wow, it, it must've been really annoying to figure out how to project the odds that a team is gonna allow between 17 and 24 points every week. It, it is, but we, yeah. did that work. we did that work for you. So we're going to give you some very realistic looking uh, numbers for your, your defenses and IDPs and everything else. Rivers McCown says, we're going to need a Kubiak for loser league update. Thanks. Yeah, I guess. We'll yeah, that should be like a default, a default setting. Right. Is Kubiak scoring with penalty, you know, upper chance of a penalty. Aram is going to hate that because we're going to have to allow negative numbers for all these fields, right? Because, because like, basically, if you score points, that's a bad thing. And right, well, league. yeah, and we'll <laughs> have to rank. You'll have to rank by like the worst players at the top. Uh, we should think about how to do that. I mm. will have to do that. No, we do not have punters yet. Andy asks if we do punters mm. yet. We do not have punters yet. Thank you. No. sorry to say, no. Um. So let's go back to the actual values themselves and let's talk about some players. Mm. Now we're finally going to give Derek a chance to speak too. So we have, uh, we're going to switch back to a viewpoint of us, I think. And then we've got some graphics 
talking about some of the players we have higher and lower than ADP, and we can talk about them a little bit. Um, so I'll wait for us to go back to that graphic. But yeah, you see we have Dalvin Cook as our number one player in pretty much all leagues this year. Derek, I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Dalvin Cook ahead of McCaffrey and Henry. Um, I mean, I think that that's probably fine. I think McCaffrey, like you guys were mentioning earlier, with the uncertainty of having Sam Darnold in the offense, I think is going to be tricky. And then also, like you guys mentioned too, like when McCaffrey was getting like 100-plus targets or whatever, the pass catch, the other pass-catching options in the Carolina offense weren't as good as they are mm-hmm. as, as I think they are now so it's not like McCaffrey has to take on as many targets as he used to so I think him being behind some of the other guys is fine Cook Cook actually got more carries last year than he did in I think 2019 despite them making no changes to their running back room really like it was all the same guys and he ended up just taking a bunch more carries so I don't see any reason for that to slow down obviously you always worry about the quality of the Minnesota offensive line but I mean I think they should still be able to do a lot of the things that they did last year All right, hold on a second here. I just have to uh, stop sharing my screen now. Uh, As soon as it brings up the meeting controls, hold on a second. I have to play around with Zoom, so everyone forgive me for a moment. While Aaron talks, I'll mention like before anyone comes and yells at me about McCaffrey, it's (laughs) it's all of the Panthers have fewer receptions than you might expect. Again, Mm. this is the interdependence kind of coming into play here. So, And I think with, I was going to say with that too, like, I would probably even be higher on uh, on McCaffrey if um, Bridgewater was still there because I think Bridgewater is a lot more conducive to playing a lot of the quick game stuff that Joe Brady likes to do, whereas I just don't think that Sam Darnold has ever been very good at that, and that's probably where McCaffrey is going to get a lot of his targets, right? So I think that would... Isn't part of the idea of Darnold that they can go deeper now, that they can throw more to DJ Moore and throw more to Robbie Anderson? And so, yeah, that, that would suggest that there's going to be less McCaffrey stuff. Right, exactly. And not even just deeper, like there, there's going to be times where, you know, maybe they're, you know, DJ Moore's running a kind of contested crosser dig over the middle and Darnold is extremely willing to throw it, whereas Bridgewater would just, just be like, ah, I'll just flip it down to the running back and take the five yards here. And so I think those type of things are also probably going to hurt McCaffrey. So here we have our, our, our visual of some of the players that Kubiak really likes compared to average draft position around the web and players that Kubiak dislikes compared to average draft position around the web. And I just want to point out how many rookies are featured on this because they are looking so dapper in their suits, <laughs> right? The, the veterans are in uniform. The rookies are in suits. And especially Travis Etienne, we'll get to him in a moment, but I just want to point out that his he's got one of those where the lapel is darker than the suit jacket itself. He looks very good. You might have to get Vince uh, Verhey to, to write about it. I mean, it seems like he's he's on the fashion game right now, right? We're not we're not in the NBA world, right? As far as player fashion, certainly you don't watch the NFL draft the way you watch the NBA draft to see the suits, but you know it's it's a thing. So uh, players that Kubiak likes compared to ADP. Let's start with Justin Herbert because we like Justin Herbert a lot this year. It's interesting because we talk a little bit in the Chargers chapter that Derek wrote about the fact that that quarterbacks who had a really good first years don't often get a second year bump because they were already so good in their first year. But you may not realize just how good Justin Herbert was in fantasy football in his first year. I mean, that's absolutely true. Uh, He averaged 21.9 fantasy points per game. That's the third most by a rookie quarterback with six or more starts since 2009, trailing just Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton. So Herbert is really good. Something you may miss if you look at his full season numbers since he didn't start the first two games. Was it two games? I can't remember when Tyrod got his lung punctured, but sometime around two games. I think he came in week two. Okay. Yes, Sorry, he, start, he started week two. It was in the... Uh, it was in it was in the pregame that they discovered that Taylor had had mm-hmm. the lung puncture. So so Herbert started 15 games, yeah. but he was not expected to start until right before week two. Yeah. So Derek, like this, basically is looking like he's tracking to be one of the all time kind of quarterbacks. Do you think that Herbert is that kind of a talent? I know that we didn't necessarily expect it coming into his rookie year, but given what he did, what do you think? Um, I mean, pro- saying all time talent is probably tough for any young player, but I think like during the chip kelly era where they had speed speed 
everywhere. Um, and they could just make a bunch of these explosive plays. That wasn't really true when he was at Oregon. And they they ran this offense that was very like stripped down and didn't really let him do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran like a lot of just really cheap RPO bubble stuff. And it, it really kind of didn't let you get as good a look, I think, at what his mental side um, could have been. And then he gets to the NFL and I think he handles all that stuff very well. Um, and then I think what was also interesting is that in college, Herbert kind of had some issues in the pocket every now and then in terms of like, like feeling out pressure and being comfortable in the pocket. And I think that was especially true, like his junior year when he was coming off of a bunch of different, like a string of injuries. And I think that that, you know, in hindsight, now it's obviously easy to say this, but in hindsight, that was probably just a thing of him not wanting to get hurt again. And now that I think, you know, his senior year, I think he got better at that. And then I think, especially in the NFL now, now that some of those injuries are a little bit in the past, he's gotten a lot tougher in the pocket. And I think he's very willing to sit in there and make a lot of tough throws. And when you have, you know, probably a top five arm in the NFL already, like he has, I think it's really easy to make a a lot of the plays that he likes to make. Um, And then like we were mentioning earlier with a lot of the running quarterbacks, he's, you know, six or so, six or seven years ago, the only guy who was like a true red zone monster really was Cam Newton. There were a couple of other guys who were, who were threats and stuff, but Cam Newton was like the one, but now Herbert, I think is one of the best running quarterbacks in the NFL already. And I think with the frame that he has, he's going to continue to be a red zone threat. He runs more than you realize. He had yes. five rushing TDs last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually, we've kind of knocked that down a little bit in the projections, which, you know, maybe we could even be underselling him a bit there if he can kind of maintain that type of an impact. Yeah, I, I think he's he's not a particularly, you know, quick guy. I mean, he's like six foot six. I mean, you, you can only be so quick at that size. But once he gets going, he's just a ridiculous strider. He moves like a gazelle once he starts getting to go. Um, and I think he's really tough for his size, actually. I think he runs with a lot of power. Um, I think he honestly, it, it, he kind of runs in a way that like Colin Kaepernick did. I don't think he's quite as fast. Kaepernick was obviously a little bit faster, but I think that style of rushing is kind of what fits Herbert to me. Now, the counter argument, Jay Molnar 94, sa- uh, sorry, Jay Molnar 94 says, seems ripe for regression. The counter argument here would be that Herbert's first year was so good mm-hmm. that wouldn't you expect him to just regress towards the mean sum? I think part of the idea might be that we're balancing out that with the the typical second year uh, mm-hmm. improvement. Yeah. And it's sort of, you end up with it being like similar to last year. So and- I'll say just generally speaking, you know, quarterbacks improve their yards per attempt by about 5%, touchdowns per attempt by about 15% or more and interceptions per attempt, they cut by 15% from year one to year two. And our projections don't reflect that for Herbert again, because of how good he was, but there definitely is a bit of a balance there. Um, but Derek, what do you think about his deep passing in particular? Because he did have nine touchdowns with 20 or more air yards, which that was behind Mahomes and Rogers with 11 and Brady with 10. I kind of think that's maybe something Herbert can keep doing because of his arm strength, but I don't know. Do you think that Anthony Lynn maybe had a lot to do with that too, with the offensive scheme that he had, or like, what are your thoughts there on, on the deep passing? Um, I think a lot of that is just one Herbert is extremely willing to do it. He obviously has the arm to do it from any platform. He can do it late in the play. So he has all the tools to be able to throw deep consistently. Um, but I also think the Chargers skill players are just really set up to do that. Both Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson are really awesome deep threats. Yeah. They don't really offer a whole lot else, but they're very good at, at those things. Um, and then you add that on top of the fact that like Keenan Allen can still threaten deep at times. Mike Williams is not a burner necessarily but he's really good in contested catch scenarios um even down the field i mean it seems like twice a year he has some odd catch where he lands in a way that nobody else has ever landed on a football field (laughs) and gets hurt Um, but is awesome looking (laughs) looks cool while doing it yeah (laughs) it looks cool until you realize he he hurt himself um but yeah i I think it's something something that he's going to continue to do um maybe he's not always going to be top three you know every single year but i think with the way that this you know with the way these skill players are set up with his talent, with the offensive line, probably, you know, going to be a lot better. I think all the, all the recipe is there for him to continue being a really good deep passer. The next guy we have is Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Scott, you're really high on him for this year. I am. And I'm glad we have Derek here to maybe temper me if, if we think that we need it, because I just, I don't really understand the pessimism that seems to exist for his rookie season. Like from a fantasy football perspective, I know that's not necessarily equivalent to real life, but average 0.467 fantasy points per pass attempt. That's 17th best of 51 rookie quarterbacks since 2009, better than Andrew Luck, better than Joe Burrow. So from a fantasy perspective, he was very effective. 
and probably should get more effective both with the year two improvements and with improved talent like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle around him. Although I'll kind of focus more from a real world perspective to say that negative 8.5% passing DVOA as a rookie is actually not bad at all. I mean, Joe Burrow, negative 7.3% just ahead of him. He beat Carson Wentz. He beat a lot of the guys like Darnold, Trubisky, Daniel Jones. He, he crushed Josh Allen. Some of these recent guys, it's, it's kind of a, a balance. There's some guys like Dak Prescott that have done very well. But by and large, Tagovailoa has been a kind of an average efficiency quarterback as a rookie. Why wouldn't he get better? Are you laughing at me, Aaron? No, I'm laughing because Rivers says, what's Tua's Kubiak projection when he becomes a Texan? I'm I guess <laughs> Rivers is expecting a, a, a Watson for Tua trade. I think it would get worse, I have to yeah. say. I yeah. think everyone's would get worse, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that said, Deshaun Watson would be the number one quarterback, for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess, Derek, my thought is, like, I know that he got pulled from games, but do you are you as disappointed by Tua's performance as a rookie as I think is the general consensus? Um, Not necessarily, but that's also probably because I – wasn't quite as high on Tua coming out as a lot of people were. You know, I think a lot of people held the idea that like Tua was also worthy of being the first overall pick and Joe Burrow just happened to have like the best season ever. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily think that that was true. I thought Tua was like a fine top 15 pick um, who also happened to have injury issues that might have held him back. True. Um, That didn't, I don't know how much that bore itself out the injury thing as a rookie, but um, I think Tua was like, okay, I think you could see that he, generally understood how to get from like one to two to check down on his reads. I think he was a little robotic at times, but I think that that was also true at Alabama for the most part. Um, I think he did okay getting outside the pocket. Like when he had chances to get outside the pocket, he would do, you know, he would get out of the pocket, find the five to seven yards and kind of just move on to the next play. I think Tua's issue really was that when it seemed like his process got a little bit disrupted, like if he got to his second read, um and thought that he had something there it didn't seem like he did a really good job of like I don't know I think the NFL moved faster than he was ready for I think especially with as you know the Alabama system can kind of baby you and players are always open and I think he was not as used to what NFL open looks like and I don't think he has the arm talent to necessarily override that not that his arm is terrible but he's not Justin Herbert where like Herbert could kind of just say screw it and figure it out <laughs> sure yeah um he's also not Jalen Hurts a guy that can just right look once doesn't see what it what he likes and then take off and run like for someone like Tua you almost need more time in the NFL to get used to it because you don't have the other things to bail you out right absolutely and I think that that was to an even more extreme extent the case with Mac Jones like Mac Jones I think is even a worse athlete and probably has an even worse arm than Tua so he's also going to be a guy who kind of has to is going to take time whereas like you know like you mentioned you know the guys like Justin Herbert um, even Lamar Jackson to an extent like these guys they're they're such you know Kyler Murray's another one like Hmm. these guys are such good athletes with such good arm talent that they can kind of get by on not being perfect processors yet whereas Tua is going to be someone who it might be until year three, four, where it really looks like things are like clicking fully for him. Um, so I'm not like completely off the, the to a idea that he could be a, a good quarterback yet, but I think he was probably not as good as a lot of people hoped. I think he was probably around average for what I thought he might be. Um, the, the one thing I'll say is that it looked like he clearly got worse as the year went on. I think he started forcing a lot more throws and maybe that was just because he felt the pressure of, you know, he was getting pulled from games. So he probably thought he had to make plays to really keep the team going. Um, And I think, you know, maybe with, you know, Fitzpatrick now being out of the picture, him being fully the guy, maybe that changes and maybe he can settle in. But I think that that was probably the most concerning thing that I saw from him last year. Yeah. He can, he can just throw six interceptions in in mini camps now. So it's all good. Right. (laughs) Nobody's going to threaten his job. So it's fine. (laughs) Let me sneak in uh, one more quarterback here that we like that we didn't get onto the graphic, but just talk briefly, Scott, about mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill, who we have higher than ADP. Yeah, I don't know if this is because people just haven't really picked up on how good Tannehill has been, or maybe this is an Arthur Smith related thing. But Tannehill, since becoming the starter for the Titans week seven of 2019, that covers 26 games, 21.5 average fantasy points per game, eighth highest at the position. That's better than Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Tom Brady as an example there. And we're, I think, maybe even a little bit more optimistic than that would paint a picture of because while the Titans had a 51.8% run ratio last year, third highest, 
we're projecting a little bit more balance this year, having the upgrade from Corey Davis to Julio Jones. I think that just is going to naturally lead to them passing the ball more because of how effective they are. I mean, I don't know what you think, Derek, but I think they may have the best two wide receivers in the league as a tandem. So it just seems like a really attractive fantasy situation for Tannehill. I don't know if you feel the same way. The Tennessee thing is weird because I do think if you're just looking at the one and two, they're about as good as anybody in the league. I think their number three situation, I don't know about fantasy football, but just in terms mm-hmm. of actual football, I don't think Josh Reynolds is very good at all. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anyone that they have after him is going to to really threaten him even, which is probably an even bigger issue. Um, they, they lost um, Johnny Smith in free agency also. So like, they kind of are going to only have to rely on these two receivers. And if anything happens to either of them, I think things could fall apart very fast, um, especially because I'm also not particularly high on this offensive line in terms of, of pass protection without, um, you know, maybe as good of, you know, the play action stuff that Arthur Smith had provided before. So I think between the Arthur Smith thing and just being such a top heavy group, I kind of understand why Tannehill might not, you know, be, be one of the, you know, top, top quarterbacks in fantasy. Makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about somebody that we have lower than ADP and finish up talking about quarterbacks with Jalen Hurts. So with Hurts, I definitely understand why everyone's so excited because he was very productive as a rusher last season. And even us, we're projecting him for 583 uh, rushing yards and 5.2 rushing touchdowns, which obviously props him up. But this is a thing where I'm like kind of comparing it to Tua and I'm like, why isn't there pessimism here for Hertz? Negative 17.6% passing DVOA is a rookie. That was not very good. 52% completion percentage, not very good. I, I mean, we're not projecting him to lose his job per se, but his passing efficiency just isn't very good. And I, I think that kind of worries me. And it, it also worries me that he may take a lot of hits this year, which is something that we do project increases the likelihood of an injury for both a rushing quarterback and coming off an offensive line that was in last place in offensive pressure rate. I would think, and Andy points out, uh, awful in the red zone as a passer too. Uh, Hurts, I believe he's talking about there. I think people are expecting more running. I think the difference between us and the conventional wisdom is I think they're expecting like a Lamar Jackson-like amount of running from Hurts. And I don't know if that's the game that Doug Peterson, uh, not Doug Peterson even though, but that – uh, what's the name of the new guy wants to play? I was going to say uh, Nick Sirianni, but Nick I don't Siri- that's, is that, that's not right. Is it? I think, I oh, think that is? might okay. be the guy. Yes. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think that's the game that I just don't think that's the game Philadelphia wants to play. I mean, I, I just, I mean, one, I don't think they have probably the offensive line to do that. Like the way that, you know, like you mentioned with Baltimore does, but I mean, I just don't think that the the way that that Jackson and Hertz's like rushing production manifest manifests itself, I think, is completely different. I don't think Lamar Jackson runs um, on traditional passing plays as much as people think that he does. I think he's a lot of his rushing production is is designed. I mean, I think Cam Newton was the same way for a long time, and people kind of had that mixed up. Um, but I think Hertz is the opposite. Like they they do plenty of designed run stuff with Hertz, but you know, like we were mentioning when we were talking about Tua. Hertz is very much like he's probably going to get one. He might get to two and he's going to bail and he's going to start trying to run. And I think that's where a lot of his production is going to come from. But I also don't think he has a lot of the same speed that Lamar Jackson has. He's not going to be able to pull off a lot of those, um, you know, super explosive, you know, where he had that crazy spin move on the the Bengals uh, linebacker, his rookie year or whatever. Um, I just don't think those those kind of plays are really there for Hertz. Um, And kind of like you guys both alluded to, I'm not particularly high on him as a passer either. And I also just don't think that team is very set up for him to be good. Devonta Smith is obviously going to be a nice addition, but Jalen Rager was really bad last year. And I don't really trust a lot of their other pass catching options. Bill Houston says the fact that nobody knows who the head coach of the Eagles is does not bode well for their season. It doesn't speak well of us. I guess we should, I should know these things at the tip of my tongue. Brian says, if you put up a picture of Nick Sirianni next to Zachary Taylor, I'm not sure I could tell which was which. I have no idea what Zach Taylor looks like. I heard in in three years. It probably won't matter. I heard an interview with Zach Taylor this off season. I think he was on the athletic uh, football show. (laughs) He seems incredibly bright. I just, just want to say, like, I think all of these guys are a lot better than we think they are, but point taken about Sirianni. All right, let's talk about running backs. A running back that we really like compared to ADB is a Cam Akers of the Rams. And Scott and I have actually gone back and forth about this because uh, the Rams did not throw very much mm-hmm. to running backs last year. 
but Scott believes that is going to change. So tell us about Cam Akers. Yeah, this, this is more of a me thing than it is like an automated system thing uh, because Cam Akers only had 11 receptions last year and we are projecting him to have 40 this year. So obviously a very big jump, but I'm justifying that because Akers had 11 catches in six starts from week 14 through the end of the playoffs. So, you know, basing that and kind of projecting that over a full season pace, that's 31 over a 17 game season. And basically that's when Akers kind of took over as the lead guy, because before week 14, he was snapping 33% or less of the offensive snaps that jumped up to 61% or higher over the rest of the season. So there was a clear progression there in my mind of Akers workload. And then meanwhile, from there, uh, Sean McVay has really been talking up Akers versatility. So I think it's kind of reasonable to project him to even grow off of that, not even the full season pace, but the pace of him as being sort of the workhorse over the last few games of the season. I think you're going to see even a little bit more than that. I mean, I'm not, not sure we're talking about Todd Gurley in his prime necessarily, but you know, I think we're talking about a top 10 fantasy football running back. So I, I don't know, Derek, do you see him that way? He did have poor rushing DVOA numbers, but I'm not really concerned about it. Um, in terms of the pass catching, I think that could have just been, you know, last year, I think his, him not catching a whole lot of passes last year could have just been him being a rookie. And I think unless you're a guy who came out of college being like a very clear stud pass catcher, that's just probably not something you're going to be very good at as a rookie. Um, so I think I'm, you know, the pass catching, I don't know, but I think as a rushing workhorse, I think he's, he's going to be as good as you guys are expecting. Obviously the real issue is like, how good the Rams offensive line is going to be because it wasn't particularly good last year and they didn't really do anything to make it any better. If anything, they're going to be, if anything, they suffered like net losses. Um, you know, they lost center Austin uh, Blythe, which is not that he was great, but that could still hurt. Um, so I think if anything, that's going to be the issue, but I think he's going to get all the carries because I think the difference between like him and, and Henderson, um, particularly in that backfield is like, I think Akers one is a little bit more decisive, which is going to help you a little bit. Um, and then I think he just does a much better job kind of running hard and like bouncing tacklers off of him. I don't think he's Derrick Henry, uh, but I think he does have a little bit more toughness between the tackles where he can kind of eke out those, those one, two extra yards um, and then still has enough breakaway speed to kind of, to break things off. Whereas like Henderson really is only going to be a one cut guy. Who's going to like, you're kind of just praying he can get past the second level and, and torch some stuff. So um, I think Akers is a lot more complete runner. And I think now that he's had a year under his belt in that system, I think that should be something that kind of, you know, pushes itself to the forefront. And he really does become a workhorse. And kind of like you were mentioning with Gurley, I don't know if he's going to be as good as Gurley, but I think that kind of running back is something that he wants, someone that he can just consistently feed down in, down out. Mm-hmm. Big Harry Andy says Stafford is a quarterback who targets running backs a lot, way more than the Rams did last year. I think that might be schematic because when Jim Agreed. Bob Cooter, when Jim Bob Cooter was the offensive coordinator in Detroit, he had them throwing to running backs like a lot. Yeah, I think I think schematically it was kind of more the thing there, especially especially in the Jim Bob Cooter era for sure. And then even last year, I mean, I don't know if it was as much schematics, but like DeAndre Swift is just a really good pass catching running back, and we'll get to him obviously. But like it, it, Stafford has kind of just always had guys who were really good at it, so of course he's going to kind of trust those guys to do that. Actually, Swift may be the next up player, right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have him on the graphic, but DeAndre Swift is another player that we like compared to ADP, and. Um, I think that's because he kind of came on in the second half of the year. Yeah, big time splits. So the Lions had a a week five bye last year. Before that bye, 6.3 touches per game, 10.4 PPR fantasy points per game. That was 32nd at the position. After week five, that jumped up to 15 touches per game, 16.6 fantasy points per game. And that was 11th at the position, which is kind of close to where we track him in here. His 46 catches, despite missing some time and despite that slower start to the year, was already the 13th most by a running back. So, I mean, this is, to me, kind of looking like one of the premier pass-catching running backs in the league, very valuable in fantasy. Derek, do you think the skills kind of match up to that? I mean, I think so. And I, and I don't really think that he's going to get threatened for touches in that, in that backfield either. I think especially as a pass-catcher, you know, I think they signed um, – I mean, they have Jamal Williams, Jamal, but like that's not gonna J- Jamal Williams more to, is, to pass block, right? Yeah, yeah. Jamal Williams is a really good pass blocker, and I think Jamal Williams is also like a 
I think there is some value in the NFL to having a guy who is basically just like a battering ram on like inside zone when you were kind of trying to just feel out the other team or like burn plays to get into certain looks and see what they want to do, stuff like that. I think Jamal Williams actually does have value there. But in terms of like what the offense actually wants to accomplish, I think Swift just offers so much more. And I think like you were mentioning with the pass catching stuff, you know, he was, what did you say, 13th already Mm -hmm. um, in terms of receptions, even with missing, you know, a handful of games. I think he'll probably crack the top 10 pretty easily. Um, I think especially with like, you know, I, I don't think this this Lions offense has very good pass catchers, you know, outside of the running back position. So I think it should be fairly easy for him to um, get plenty of touches in that regard. Well, shots fired at Brashad Perryman and Tyrell Williams. <laughs> just, just saying. I, I'm well, a big Tyrell Williams guy, but he should probably not be your best receiver. <laughs> yeah, he's not. Those guys, I think you don't want as your number ones. Yeah. Um, a guy that we dislike, <clears throat> I'm actually a little torn on this one because, yes, you've got Najee Harris that uh, wherever you looked up ADP had him at 15. Wherever I looked up ADP yesterday had yeah. him at like 24. So I'm not – we have him somewhere in between those two. I'm not sure if we like him or dislike him compared to ADP, but let's, <laughs> let's talk a little talk bit about, about Najee way. Harris. Yeah, This may have to do with the fact that we may have running backs as a group as more important than the consensus – but we actually have Harris behind some other running backs. So if you're looking at the position, relatively speaking, but regardless, the one thing that I think we and probably the public can agree on is that Harris is probably going to be a workhorse type of back. Mike Tomlin has kind of always used a running back that way. Harris has the skills for that, which Derek can probably attest to. So to me, the bigger concern is, is just the offensive line. Last year, they were the worst team in adjusted line yards on offense. God, I mean, I think we all wanted the Steelers to take an offensive lineman here as, as much as Harris as, as good of a player as he is, they really could have used the upgrade there. And even though Harris is probably a good fit in terms of after the contact, I have a hard time seeing him having a very efficient rushing season. Do you see, do you see that same thing, Derek? Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the problem is the offensive line. It's just not, it's not the offensive line that, you know, Le'Veon Bell was running behind. Um, it, it's just, it's a completely different unit. I mean, they just let go of DeCastro. Like it's just, the, these guys aren't as good as they were. Um, I will say that I think the way that, Harris runs he does a very good job of mitigating losses like he's not the kind of guy who's going to have very many like you know negative five yard rushes um, and stuff like that he's going to be a guy who kind of turns a lot of those plays into at least one two yard gains you're going to get a lot uh, you're going to get a really high floor at least in terms of real football it's hard for me to gauge fantasy football but in terms of of on the field you're going to get a guy who has a really high floor but he's not going to have very many breakaway plays as a pass catcher, he's someone who's good out of the backfield, but is never really going to like line up, um, you know, as a split end or anything like that. And he's not going to really threaten vertically. Um, and then as a pass blocker, I think he's, he's plenty good enough to where that they can keep him as a three down back and he can be the workhorse kind of guy that you were talking about. So I really like Harris, the player. And I still think that, you know, for as devalued as running backs are, I think there are running backs who can make their offensive line look better than it is. But I think the Pittsburgh offensive line is probably so bad that that's just not going to be viable. I, th- I think that that's probably just not going to be able to happen. Jay Molnar 94 says at running back volume is more important than efficiency. And I think that's true. Right. And we're definitely projecting the volume here. Yeah. We're projecting 237 carries and 31 catches. And so I actually have written here high floor, which is kind of what Derek was talking about from a different perspective, but from a fantasy perspective as well, I think this is a high floor player, but where we kind of quibble with some of the specific running backs involved where I mean, I feel very confident he's going to have more touches than DeAndre Swift is going to have. I just think that Swift is going to be much more productive from a fantasy perspective per touch, such that that's going to kind of make a difference for you. Now, if you want to ride with Harris because you think from a weekly perspective, it may be more consistent because he's getting 15 touches every week. Okay. I think, I mean, I can be talked into that depending on your scoring format, but I think there could be some of those. 14 carry 40 yard weeks. And if he doesn't punch in a touchdown, you're like, you know, this, this isn't exactly what we were hoping for. It it also kind of depends on how good you think Ben is going to be right. Like just in terms of, you know, the quality of Ben's play is basically going to be like how good the overall offense is and how good the overall offense is, is how often they're going to get into the red zone and actually have scoring opportunities where I think Najee Harris can actually be really valuable. Um, I think he's really good in the red zone for a lot of reasons. So I think if Ben is as bad as we think he might be, I think getting those those opportunities to score are going to be, you know, a little bit slimmer than people are hoping. Harris seems like a loser league special. He will never get the penalty. 
but he's not going to put up a lot of hundred yard games. Yeah. Harris yep. is also somebody that's relatively more valuable in non PPR formats. I'll point out because mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. like as, as good as he is as a pass catcher, he's not going to be a Camara type of guy just jumping mm-hmm. up the board for that. Mm-hmm. For uh, Molnar says we're underestimating receptions because Connor had 35 of them last year. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair consideration and it's, it's not about us distributing the workload more. I mean, that those 31 catches are the lion's share that we're projecting for the running backs for the team. So this is more an issue of us projecting fewer total pass attempts because the Steelers were like historically high in that number last year. We think there's going to be a little bit more balance this year, uh, which is even though that's giving Harris carries, that's bad news for his fantasy value, uh, especially in PPR. But also too, like the receivers themselves are so good. Like I'm not sure we can expect just tons of passes to go specifically to Harris. Speaking of PPR leagues, Travis Etienne is another player we're not high on compared to ADP. I think this is a issue of just not enough balls to go around in the Jacksonville backfield. Yeah. I mean, was Urban Meyer trying to build a college team here? Cause that's kind of what it seems like where <laughs> <He> sure is. <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of give everybody an idea, we're projecting James uh, Robinson for 154 carries and 28 catches Etienne for one Oh five and 36 and even Carlos Hyde for, 51 and 15. And so it's like, why are you giving Robinson Hyde so much work? I mean, that's 107 fewer touches for Robinson. It's 31 fewer for Hyde than they had last year. And I'll say particularly for Robinson, even though he was averaged by rushing DVOA, 2.58 yards after contact per attempt was ninth best at the position. He's a different style of player than Etienne is. And one that I think may contribute to him getting more carries and more goal line opportunities than Etienne, where like, Etienne maybe could like peak in that Jamal Charlesy kind of way from a fantasy perspective, but if he's not breaking away long touchdowns, is he going to be the guy getting the, the bulk of the carries in this offense? I'm not sure with that kind of talent around them. I think I'm not particularly high on Etienne, especially as a year one player. Um, I think like you mentioned, he's really explosive and he could, you know, theoretically have this like Jamal Charles type of thing where he's just ripping off, you know, 40 yard runs all the time or whatever, but um some of his work i think between the tackles can be a little bit suspect i don't think he's as big as he's listed is another thing and obviously you know like you mentioned that's especially problematic compared to james robinson who is like a freaking tank like you know and like you were mentioning like with short yardage goal line all that other stuff robinson is is clearly the guy you want out there um but then my other concern really with etienne is like I don't think as a pass catcher, he is what people think that he is. I mean, I know that he was getting work as a wide receiver in, in mini camp or whatever, but um, I, I think at Clemson, he really was only a guy who was catching a lot of checkdowns and stuff, which obviously still has value and you can get him volume that way. But I don't think he's this, um, you know, Christian McCaffrey type of, of, of pass catcher where you can split him out all the time and he's going to do all mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, and I think that that's especially true when you look at the wide receiver room in Jacksonville. I mean, they have DJ Chark, Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault why would you ever, why would you really split him out at, at wide receiver unless you're doing some empty stuff? And maybe Urban Meyer does want to play out of empty a lot. Who knows? Um, Trevor Lawrence is certainly good enough at it, but um, I think it's just, I'm probably not high on Etienne in basically every category. So I think overall, I'm just kind of not, not huge on him right now. Let's go to wide receiver and talk mm-hmm. about a couple of players that we like chase Claypool. Yeah, I, I love Claypool. I'm a little bit surprised by the pessimism here. Um, I don't know if it's because of his touchdown scoring from last year where he did have nine on just 62 catches or whether it's just kind of a lack of perspective on how good he was as a rookie. There's 13.3 PPR points per game was 16th best of 250 rookie wide receivers with six or more games played since 2009. Now, it wasn't the best among the rookies last year because that was Justin Jefferson and, and Brandon Ayuk was ahead of him as well. But Tied with C.D. Lamb, I mean, I think it's just it kind of puts him in rarefied air that makes this class look really, really good. Just as a comparison, 62, 8, 73, and 9, D.K. Metcalf's rookie year was 58, 907, almost identical. And I think we kind of may be looking at a similar project, uh, trajectory here. And I just love the touchdown upside given his six foot four, 238-pound frame. So, Derek, do you kind of see him as a Metcalf type of player that could maybe become an upper echelon fantasy player this year? Yeah, I think I think Metcalf in a lot of ways too is is a good comparison just in terms of like I don't think Claypool they I don't think they ask him to do a lot. I don't think they want him to be like your full true X wide receiver that can run every single route, blah 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 blah. But 
I think he's a really good guy who can like be a bully on like slants um, and stuff like that. And some of your shorter other in breaking routes, he's obviously a really good nine ball receiver. Um, and they even used him on a lot of like jet stuff, even near like the goal line, because um, he has surprising one cut for ability for a guy who's, who's obviously, you know, he's like six, four, he's listed at two thirty eight, but he's not two thirty eight. He's like two twenty five at best. Sure. Uh, but that's another thing. But I think his role is so clearly defined and I think he's good at his role. Um, I think he's, you know, like I mentioned, he's a really good deep threat. He's really good with the ball in his hands. Um, and I think he does a decent enough job on, on some of those shorter in breaking routes that he's going to get the ball into his hands um, a decent amount of times. And I think he's, he has such a unique profile on that Steelers offense. You know, I don't think there's other guys who can quite do the same things that he does. So I don't think anyone else is going to really chip into his specific touches. So I think Claypool's probably someone worth being high on, even from for a, as much as I didn't love him coming yeah. out of college, to be honest. For From a touchdown perspective, I'll point out that he had very similar numbers, nine receiving touchdowns and 8.4 opportunity-adjusted receiving touchdowns, which takes in consideration where he's getting his targets. So if anybody's going to regress from that perspective, I think it's probably Juju Smith-Schuster, who, who mm-hmm. definitely exceeded what you would expect given where his targets were last year, the touchdown scoring. The other uh, wide receiver we want to talk about who we're high on, and this may seem strange because we're low on Jalen Hurts, but yes. we're high on Devontae Smith. We are. And, you know, maybe Derek can provide a little bit of context here because, like, I'm not really sure how strongly I feel about this, but we do have Smith as clearly the number two rookie wide receiver, definitely behind Jamar Chase, but clearly ahead of Jalen Waddell and some of the other guys. I think part of it is where he, he's kind of more clearly the number one guy here for the Eagles. And Derek pointed this out a little bit earlier, but Jalen Rager, negative 20.5% DVOA as a rookie. Actually, every wide receiver for the Eagles last year, except Travis Fulgham, was below average from a receiving efficiency perspective. It just doesn't seem like there's much in Smith's way to become the number one guy here. And I think that'll prop him up, even if like the actual passes aren't all on target. I 100% agree. I mean, like you said, I don't think anyone on this roster is close to threatening him, really. I think even if Rager improves a little bit, I don't think he's going to be near as close to as good as Devonta Smith is. I mean, Devonta Smith can run every route. He's surprisingly good in contested catches for a guy who, you know, everyone thought he was 140 pounds soaking wet. Um, <laughs> he's really good with the ball in his hands. I mean, he's a really rare, I don't even know how to describe the way that he moves. It's just, it feels rare and different when you see it, even though he's, you know, maybe not a four, two speed or whatever. I think he just has a really rare sense of, of how to gauge where bodies are around him and stuff and how to maneuver around them. So I think he just does everything that the offense is going to need. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, nobody else can really threaten him. Rager's not going to threaten him. Fulgham was a fine role player, but like he plays such a specific role that I don't think he can threaten Smith. Um, and then I think he, you know, he has a relationship with Hertz and, you know, how much that affects how much he actually gets targeted, who knows. But I think with Hertz being a guy who is so like one, two to run, I think he's probably going to trust Smith a lot in, in a, you know, situations where he might not trust other guys like Rager. So I think, you know, like you mentioned, even if a lot of these passes might not be on target, I think he has so many other things going for him here. And I think he was such a good prospect that he's going to be plenty productive. All right. Let's talk about a couple of tight ends that we don't like compared to ADP. And the first one is interesting because we only have them off on ADP by like either zero slots or one, depending on what ADP list you look at. But for overall, compared to all positions, we have George Kittle lower than ADP does. We do. And I just want to, as a trivia question for Aaron and Derek, how many touchdowns do you think Kittle has scored in total over the last three years? Uh, Oh, no. I'd say 18. Okay. Derek? Uh, three years? I'll go like 22 maybe. Yeah, it's 12. What? 12. Now, Kittle, Kittle has quite famously had some touchdowns called back because of various offensive penalties, some of which probably should not have been called. But the thing that I'll point out here is that it's not like Kittle is a guy whose opportunity adjusted receiving touchdowns are dramatically higher than his like typical touchdowns. I think this may be a case where he's not quite used as a red zone option the way that you would expect or that a guy like Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski or even a Mark Andrews is um, where he's contributing more sort of between the 20s. Every bit as good as those players. In fact, I mean, for my money, Kittle may be the best tight end in the league at this point. But like all of those contributions aren't necessarily crystallizing and be perfect fantasy asset at tight end. And so like 
if Darren Waller is going to get more targets than Kittle is, which I think is probably likely, and they're kind of getting the similar red zone type of workloads, I mean, I, at that point, I'm not sure that I want to jump on Kittle way ahead of all these other tight ends that way, which I know that sounds a little bit surprising, but this is kind of a fantasy versus reality type of thing that, that may be confusing people. I mean, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, the one caveat I would maybe have is that Actually, no, I just retalked myself out of it. I was going to say Trey Lance coming into the offense, I yeah. think would maybe make me um, a little bit higher on, you know, basically everybody in the San Francisco offense. And then obviously Kittle um, as a result of that. But what I would say about that is like Lance is probably going to get a lot of carries in the red zone. Mm-hmm. So that would obviously take away from some of the opportunities that Kittle might get in that area. And if we assume that he's already not, you know, particularly great in that area um, or particularly targeted in that area, if they now insert a guy who's going to run and eat up a yeah. lot of those touches anyway, well then, you know, that might be even worse. So um, I actually kind of understand now why his, you know, overall ADP might be, be a little bit lower compared to some of these other tight ends. I think like you mentioned Waller specifically, um, because I think a, a lot is better than Waller. Kid, we, right. we know he, that's true, but that, right. that's not he's, from he's a fantasy a, perspective. Exactly. He's a better, more complete player, but I think, you know, just like you mentioned, I think just with the way the opportunity is going to shake out, I think, especially if Lance comes in, I think it totally makes sense. You don't get fantasy points when Kittle pancakes a guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you should. You, Maybe we can you, add that for 2022. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Andy says it's hard to have a tight end below tight end ADP at the position because there are only like 10 of them worth drafting. So you have to judge right. them based on the overall, mm-hmm. like where they come in overall. So the other guy we have lower than ADP is Kyle Pitts. Which yeah, has got a commenter's point. He's it's got to be about he's rookie. fifth in ADP. Yeah, yeah, he's fit. He's fifth. He's tight end five in ADP and tight end eight in Kubiak. Yeah, this I struggle with this one a little bit. I mean, after Julio got traded, it's actually kind of difficult to come out, come up with targets for the Falcons. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about Aaron's favorite player, Olamide Zacchaeus, uh, Mike Davis, the running back. I mean, there's not a lot of guys there behind Calvin Ridley. But I still think our projection of, for Pitts, 54.4 targets this year, I think is pretty fair given what we've seen from even the best prospects at the position. So the other tight ends with between 50 and 66 rookie targets. We've got Noah Fant on the upper end with 66, Kittle with 63, Jordan Reed 60, Gronk 59, Hawkinson 59, Zach Ertz 56, Chris Herndon 56. People forget how good he was as a rookie. Hunter Henry 53 and Mark Andrews 50. So Pitts, we're kind of having that range where like the best of those of those rookie tight ends have gone. Only four tight ends have exceeded 66 rookie targets since 2009. So unless you think that Pitts is going to just be like head and shoulders above what we've seen from everybody else, which I mean, I think that's the upside of what he could be. But it, it's always dangerous to assume that a tight end is going to be everything he's going to be in his career in his rookie season for fantasy, where it's such a difficult position to to sort of adjust to the NFL life. I, I do think he's tricky because I do think that that's generally true. And I think people, I think people are a little bit burned from TJ Hawkinson where we, you know, Hawkinson was kind of sold as this guy who was going to be like this insane rookie, blah, 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 blah. And that didn't really happen. But I think Pitts is so much better than Hawkinson. Um, and I think especially like you can do so much with splitting him out as a wide receiver. That really wasn't true with Hawkinson to the same degree. And I think especially with Julio leaving now, like, Pitts can legitimately play the X receiver position that Julio is playing. And I think he should be able to slot into the offense just fine. You know, a lot of people talk about the idea that, oh, Arthur Smith's offense kind of uses tight ends in a very particular way. I think that that's true, but I also think Pitts is such a different animal than Johnny Smith was. And I think he can do so much more. He can align at so many other different areas that I think that probably is just nullified. And maybe the Gators Homer in me is just coming out. And I really just think Pitts is that good, but I think he's such a special prospect that, I probably wouldn't really lump him in with a lot of the other rookie tight ends. So maybe the better question for you, Derek, is would you be drafting him ahead of any of Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Logan Thomas, Hawkinson, Fant, Mark Andrews, and Robert Tanyan? So like you've got to jump several of those guys to get him to his ADP. It's tough to do. Like even if, again, you think that his, his potential is higher than most of those players, but you, you have to be confident that he'll hit it in his rookie year, which is something that even the best prospects, it just doesn't happen a lot. Um, for as much as I like Fant, I don't know if I trust 
their quarterback situation. They also have a lot of other pass catchers that I think might eat away from him. Yeah. Um, Logan Thomas, I don't think is actually like nearly as good as he was last year. So I think okay, that's interesting. I would probably be pretty comfortable taking pits over him. Um, but again, I think this is just me. This is not like, I think, I just think that he was such a special prospect that I don't think it's fair to lump him in with a lot of other tight end prospects again, because I think part of the issue with a lot of tight end prospects is they come into the league and it's really hard to play the true Y position. And a lot of guys can only play that position. And a lot of these guys can't really flex out at wide receiver the same way. But I think he's such a special player in that regard that he should be able to split out as much as he wants to. And I think he's still a plenty good blocker, even as an inline guy that I think he just, I think he just checks every single box. And I think with all the missing touches that are going to be in that offense now, I just, again, I know it's very hard to project rookie tight ends this way, but I think he really is truly such a special talent and like, multiple tiers above like other you know first round tight ends like tj hawkinson or whoever if you had to guess like what is your number of, of targets that you would project just off the top of your head uh what did we have him at like 60 54 54 i mean i would have to imagine he gets to at least 70 um yeah. i think pretty comfortably cool that probably better captures what it's like in adp for him mm-hmm. yeah definitely <laughs> better captures the adp so uh, I guess people are going to just have to make uh, decisions. Jay Molnar 94 adds Hawkinson is going to be huge this year because Goff's game is all over his dominant areas. Overall tight end three, despite a lack of efficiency and he's the number one target. But Goff is not very good. And I don't like, I just, <laughs> I think that's the problem is that the, I just don't t- trust the, the Lions offense overall to be good enough for Hawkinson to be that. Productive. I, I, I certainly wouldn't take him over the top three of, of uh, Kelsey Waller and Kittle. I mean, mm-hmm. Kelsey is a special fantasy yeah, Kel- wise. Kelsey like, is like, yeah, it, it's not even, I mean, I think that Kelsey our, our values have him like fourth, fourth or fifth overall in some leagues, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, just crazy. He's so far ahead of other tight ends. Yeah. I mean, I think just last year, I think I, I wrote this in the chapter or something, but I think in terms of DYAR, he had the best tight end season since like, Gronk 2011 or something yep. insane. Like it, he was I, just so not even close. It was, I believe, the number two tight end DYIR season ever behind yeah. Gronk's 2011. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. That wraps it up for the show. Thank you so much, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen, for joining me on the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Thanks to everybody who's watching us on twitch.tv right now. Thanks to everybody who watches on YouTube afterwards, uh, listens to the podcast. I hope you'll check out the new Kubiak fantasy football projections. All you got to do is be an FO plus subscriber to get access to Kubiak and everything on the website is 50% off until July 5th. So you've got just a few days to get uh, Kubiak for two, I believe 250 a month for all the FO plus stuff. That's Kubiak and the football outsiders almanac and the DVOA database and the weekly projections during the season and picks and all that stuff. So uh, definitely check out Kubiak. We'll take more questions on it. Feel free to email us with your questions about projections. We'll get Scott right on that. And uh, thank you all so much for joining the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. We will talk to you again next Thursday.